and welcome once again to The Dice Are Screaming. Oh. I'm Randy. And I am Mike. And together we form The Dice Men of The Dice Are Screaming, and welcome to yet another podcast. Yes, podcast 49. Right, one less than 50. I'm saying right. But one more than 48. Hmm. Yep, it's that getting that magical time. What will we do for 50? Well, <laughs> You guys are in for a surprise. We don't even know. It's yeah. so secret. We're <laughs> so secret we haven't told ourselves. Uh. <laughs> Although we intend to do something that, uh, you know, is different and out there and uh, entertaining at least. But uh, still not resolved. Don't know where we're going with it. Yep. So stay tuned. We may be taking a poll. Ha ha ha. All right. Good so, idea. Right. So Friday's our busiest episode. So yeah, you've been putting up with us this long. What's one more, right? Yeah, I'm sure you can you know, probably survive at least one more of these. Yeah, we might even do bards. I know, right? I, look, I've been busting your chops on this bard thing for a while now. And, you know, I, I think it's high time. So Maybe we pull the trigger on that. All right, well, let's see what we have in store for tonight because we're not going to pull the trigger on bards. Tonight? Not just yet, and I was aware of this this time. No letdown for Mike. Uh, We resolved this already. Yep, we've been planning on doing a module overview, and uh, much like with uh, Bone Hill and some others that we've been talking about, like uh, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh and all that, Yeah, we uh, are going to do something new, and uh, tonight we're going to go through and talk about campaign... Play from published adventures. Now, a lot of uh, the recent years, I would say within the last decade or so, we've seen the rise of what's been called the adventure path and all that. And that's a really cool thing because it gives you a long-term goal. Yeah, uh, and let's not mince words here. The tradition of stringing adventures together uh, does, in fact, date back to some of the earlier publications from first edition, albeit fewer of them then. Now, path-driven or interconnected modules have become much more commonplace as opposed to the standalones of yesteryear, where the linked series of uh, modules was the exception and the standalones were the rule. Uh, I enjoyed all of the above at one point or another. But we're talking about uh, more recent uh, publications, and we're going to use one trio, actually. Uh, We're going to use three interlinked modules as our kind of basis example as we walk through them. Yep, and uh, we're going to start out with the Crypt of the Everflame from the Pathfinder role-playing game. And, of course, it can be played with... uh, Third edition. It's not that hard to uh, convert. Yeah, there's a very low threshold for adequate conversion. Yeah, uh, kind of like between first and second. Yeah, it was not that hard to shift from edition to edition uh, back in first and second edition. And, and goodness knows we spliced together some house rules during that transition period to ditch what we didn't like and take what we did. Yep, and in the finest tradition of that old school oeuvre. Good DMs don't borrow, they steal. That's right. And you make your game your own. So with this, uh, we're going to review and also applaud 
three of these modules, which fit together into a nice little trilogy, taking you from first to about seventh, maybe eighth level. Um, starting with the Crypt of Everflame, the Mask of the Living God, and the City of Golden Death. And like Mike just said, each one of these is an individual module, about ten bucks, which is pretty much what, you know, girded for inflation and all that you would pay for uh, a $6 module back in the day. So these three fit together very nicely, but oh. they also stand alone. And that's a thing I, I do want to take a moment to mention, which is the finest tradition of preparing interlinked modules. Uh, if we go back to first editions, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, Slave Pits of the Undercity and, uh, oh... You know, area of the slave lords or slaver stockade and uh, the dungeon of the slave lords. They were all interlinked modules, uh, but they could be played alone under the right circumstances. Yeah. And in these modules, these much newer releases, you see that needle gets threaded again, where they've made them usable as standalone adventures, uh, unconnected to the others. Or, alternately, you can run them as a campaign setting, one right after the other. Uh, so, I do want to give a big kudo for remembering uh, that tradition of preparing modules that are usable both as a series uh, and as a single setting. Yeah, and uh, Crypt of the Everflame pretty much takes personal adventures to about third level. And so that's where we're going to start. Uh, it's pretty much a standard call to adventure. You know, you're here in a land that the call for the quest for the Everflame is special. Every four years, they call a group of heroes to explore the crypt of the Everflame. And so you know, your player characters are nominally chosen for that. Of course, there's other ways you can link it in. But uh, this is also deeply rooted in the world that Pathfinder uh, calls its core setting, which is Galarian. And uh, this pretty much goes that something has run amiss this year. Uh-oh. So you have to go into this crypt. And usually it's just a potential for finding new adventurers to defend the land. And so your adventurers are put in there, and so you go for the quest of the Everflame. Yeah, and it's it's uh, well known to not be a super fatal quest. You right. Know, it, it, this is more like a little trial by fire for, for the novitiates. Yep, and of course, it's got a lot of things. It's an introductory module, which explains the rules for handling the different types of encounters and special rules like diseases and things like that that you run into without get bogging down the game too much. So it teaches also as a novice game master. It's a great way to get started in that. But yeah, they provide enough background material to you know understand the setting that the players are walking into, so that the DM has the ability to describe it adequately. Now they're given a, a lantern, which is the symbol of the quest, and uh, of course this is a kind of a big thing because it allows the game master to kind of help guide the players. And so it's a nice little uh, MacGuffin there that's given right off the bat for the players, and it allows the game master to kind of adjust the clutch a little bit if they need a little bit of help or hints. So it's very much with beginners in mind, but, uh, you know, old hands will have fun with it too. But, you know, no adventure starts off wrong with an encounter with orcs ah. on your way there. So 
that's pretty good. And of course, you know, you also have, you know, encounter some wild animals, some pack of wolves, and all that. Yeah, and thank goodness, no rats. Okay, they. I, I want to throw another kudo here. They they avoided the classic pitfall of all first level modules, which is the giant rat encounter. Now mm -hmm. famous. No, famously homaged in pretty much every video game intro. If you decide to do the uh, the character's uh, little background section and training, you know that it's almost always rats. So much so that they made a joke about it in game. Yeah, this uh, this one has two uh, levels: the dungeon itself, the crypt of the Everplane, and once you get in there, you know, uh, surprise! There's a lot of people, a lot of undead. Uh, guys lurking about inside the crypt. Yeah. No surprise there. Right off the bat with skeletons. Yep, and of course your, you know, the uh, changes to the undead and stuff like that that they talk about right off the bat, which helps Game Masters get into the transition from third to uh, Pathfinder and all that. But, uh, you know, there's some people in there that you have to find and uh, give you clues, along with the various encounters, but you have two nice levels to go through, and each with different types of undead of course you know we visit the classic the shadow is uh pretty much of the early kind of mini boss fight if you want to call it that yeah this is intended to be a slightly more difficult fight than say for instance skeletons so uh at present you know it's listed as challenge rating three with just a single shadow uh to challenge the player characters but when you consider that these are characters that at this stage uh, none should have, you know, crossed over to the second level yet. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's a pretty solid tough encounter. Yep, it's not that they can't get through it, but it is incorporeal, which that's a whole bag of beans in and of itself. <laughs> and they spent some time on that. And of course, there's all sorts of the. There are some challenging tricks and traps here. Yeah, you know, and not, that's the other thing. Super challenging, but uh, at least one of them is unique uh, and has been well thought out. Yep, and it has, on the first level, a, a big uh, fight with a golem. Yeah, this is your, your, end, of the, your end of the journey to first level, or second level, uh, boss fight. This, uh, it's no peach. But yep. first levelers should be able to handle it uh, with a, a little bit of difficulty. You may, yeah, it's not an iron some, golem. You may have some near fatalities here. Yep, so, you know, it is, uh, it's not just a cakewalk, things have changed in the crypt, and we're not going to give too many spoilers. Tomorrow, right? But, but uh, yeah, a construct golem uh, is a challenging fight for players that, uh, at lower levels, they can use various tools to fight living creatures, and there are certain skills and abilities that uh, lend them an advantage against living things if they work together as a team. Constructs, well, uh, they you know, things in the golem category and statues and things like that, uh, your crits, well, say goodbye to those. You yeah. know, <laughs> no, no internal organs means much, much tougher to kill. So that's, that's the work hard moment at the end of that. Yeah, you can still crit them, it's just much harder. But nonetheless, um, at the end, you know, of the first level, they get a pre-prepared treasure trope to help them. And this is something I like, and I often do it for my own campaign as after completing a major quest or objective, uh, rather than just have sometimes a set treasure, I sometimes personalize it to my players. And some people think that that's, you know, well, that's just the way it is, you know. Sometimes you just, you find what you find. 
But in this case, it fits perfectly with the idea of the test. It has been placed in here for you to help you grow after you've all uh, overcome the challenges ahead. So, yeah. for instance, like if you have a barbarian, they get a masterwork weapon or a potion of bull strength and an oil of magic weapon. Yeah, this is a, you know, pre-planned reward uh, as a part of a module that it's supposed to reflect the characters who are present with the the people who have arranged this shakedown test of your abilities, having also made sure that an appropriate reward for your class type is available. Now, I mean, in regular campaigns myself, I waver back and forth. Uh, I like a little bit of weirdness and the magnificent randomness of the tables in 1st edition D&D. So, uh, I have, in handwritten modules, both pre-placed treasure that, well, you mm -hmm. know, like that's what you get. I mean... And, yeah, you get what you get. And then, I also have usually a loophole notation made on, like, a treasure of this type generated randomly, uh, which can throw a real monkey wrench in, because you don't know what you're going to get. And right. it's kind of not worked in my favor a few times. But it's never dull. But then you get into the second level, and to find out what really went wrong... And the undead start, and the dangers start to pile up. And traps get a little more deadly, of course, as it goes through. Yeah, tougher, crazier undead. Uh, <laughs> starving giant frogs. Oh, boy, yeah. And, of course, does the uh, plague zombies. Yeah, now, you know, way to up the horror mode on this, because, you know, it's, it's bad enough to just fight a pile of zombies. It's not such a terrible thing for your... Your average group of people who've just cracked that level two. Uh, beating up some zombies is a nice little brisk fight. Plague-covered zombies, on the other hand, uh, aside from disgusting, Dude. also, you know, that's, that's more of the uh, everybody sweating bullets now. Yeah, don't get hit, don't get hit. So, pile of skeletons, and also, I, I do want to mention the, the room with a unique fungus and pooled water. Uh, that was particularly interesting to me, that uh, it, the fungus has an electrical discharge quality. Yeah. Now, this is not a high threshold or tons of damage, unless the, the dice are super cruel to the players and super kind to the DM. Uh, but but that little one, you know, there there could be a fatality there, a, a electrically discharging fungus in a room with a large pool of stagnant water. So if you're trying to get to your goal and you're in the water when it goes off, zap! Yep. And also pools, strange pools oh. with different effects. Yep. So that visits. And of course, at the end, you know, you find out that the tomb has been violated and now the ghost of the, of the person in there has now become restless and that's why all the undead are around. And of course, you know, clues for the next part. And also is well provided in here, uh, the village of Cassin and its environs the areas around them. So if you were adventurers want to, you know, get a little bit more extra experience points before going on, that's also open to you. And, you know, also yeah. the town can be reused or uh, explored more. You know, if they're, uh, I mean, they may have come there directly with the intention of going after the Crypt of the Everplane, but, uh, you know, there's a little more to dust up if they just want to nurse those experience points and maybe crack a third level before it's over. You know, because right. the potential is there to go from first to third. 
Uh, you don't have to exercise all of it, but at least it's provided. Yeah, and you know it gives the players the idea that if they want to do something outside of the scope of the adventure, you know you have the tools as a DM to go ahead and do that. But uh, great module. We won't reveal the ending, but it is a pretty challenging one at the end. Um, yeah, let's not of, give away all the details yeah. of the final fight. But uh, you know, needless to say, somewhat more challenging for players who've just newly acquired a level and, you know, picked up a couple, uh, got a few extra hit points and a healing potion to their name, you know, they're feeling feeling a little sassy. That ought to take the wind out of their sails. Yep, and at the end they should be all third level and ready to take on the next challenges, which is of course salted throughout the adventure where they have to find a ranger who may know something about why the tomb was violated. And so they have to go to a larger city. So, again, um, there's some nice encounter charts to uh, salt the way there. So, in the second one, Mask of the Living God. Yes. You're going to be going against the Cult of Razmir. Now, for those familiar with Pathfinder, Razmir is kind of a uh, deity that is somewhat cult-like, but also is a false god. But uh, it's kind of a, a scam. And uh, the Crypt of Everflame, of course, links into this perfectly. But, you know, the encounters, just to look at these, are... Um, if you're an old-school DM, you know, you have some stuff that might be a little bit more than they can chew. So they might have to uh, uh, be careful in how they uh, provide these encounters to you, but, or you play them. For instance, a Crab Swarm. Now, uh, you know, like, well, that's a new thing. Yeah, but the other thing is there's a Sea Hag loose on the encounter tables, as well as Lacedons, the Aquatic Ghouls. As well as just uh, you know, up to a trio of hungry crocodiles. Yeah, and I, I should mention that the those familiar with both new and old gaming are familiar with the arrival of the swarm concept, uh, which has mutated from its original things like insect plague and you know mm -hmm. stuff like that uh, to a much more easily graded uh, substitute in, in the new editions, where a swarm can constitute just any mass of creatures moving as a group. Yep. Uh, which, I gotta say, it's got some DM dirtbag potential there, because there's a number dirt of things DM. that... There's, there's a number of things swarms are not subject to. That yeah, Clem and Clyde would have something to say about that. Well, <laughs> stab it till it dies. If it don't die when you stab it, burn it with fire. Yeah, it, it'd, be a, it'd be a break out the fire thing, because area of effect... Uh, type spells work really well against swarms, but comparatively few other things for low-level characters do. So it, it's, it looks on paper like it's not that challenging. As it turns out, those, those can be a pretty rough one. Yeah, but there's a SEAG in there, so, you know, it definitely can give them some uh, food moment for pause and food for thought on all that. But, you know, you have some encounters getting to the place, and then once you're at the, uh, the town... Uh, you find out it's a meritocracy and all that, and it, the stats provided for the town, but you have to go to a inn called the Ranger's Lament and find a Pathfinder. And uh, that's a society of kind of adventurers in the uh, vein of the Seekers from the world of Greyhawk who try to find out lost lore and history to preserve it, not necessarily exploit it, although some do. And that's where the cult of Razmir comes in, is that they have kind of taken over part of the town. And so this is where the moment of, where it somewhat expects that the players will try at some point to infiltrate the cult or be drugged into it. 
Yeah, either by asking too many questions in the wrong place, or by, you know, obviously they can go the subterfuge route, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Know, to have one or multiple members of the party appear to join uh, and seem devout and try to work their way into more knowledge of what's going on. Uh, but also, you know, acting immediately and obviously against the cult's interests and asking hostile questions about them, and that can provoke an encounter too. So it yeah. can go either way on that. Yeah, because like they give a, they give some different ways of it. It's possible that uh, they will drug the player characters if you ask too many questions about the missing ranger. And uh, so, you know, they will poison you and they give you a... A point here I'm just going to spend with it is if uh, people complain that some of these adventures are railroady, well, there is an expectation, but they give a good uh, sidebar on it. Said that it's possible the PCs avoid being poisoned and dragged into the temple, steering clear of this meeting entirely. And of course, they give you guidelines on how players could still continue with this adventure and lines of question by just as we said joining the cult, and that helps, uh, especially with newer DMs who may be unsure. But this. Since the first one, the Crypt of the Aeroplane, is pretty much a classic dungeon crawl with a basic call to adventure, you know, go here and do this thing. This is a little bit more open-ended, and as you join the cult, you're going to be expected to do things for the cult, which furthers their aim. And so instead of doing the most evil and violent things, you have to choose to do the less of two evils. So that can get particularly tricky with some paladins. Yeah, if you've got lawful good characters here that are... Well, either a cleric bound to a god that uh, would strongly disapprove of posing as a priest of another religion and committing evil acts, even for an act of subterfuge, even for a noble purpose. There's a questionable moment there, like, eh, do I take the alignment thing to get it done? And just apologize to my god later, or uh, do we find another way? You know, we're, we may have to chop our way out of this. Yep, and it's pretty much a, a lot of role-playing and questioning and subterfuge. So this takes a different path than the first one, which was pretty much straightforward, beat up stuff, take it, and move on. Yeah, and it provides a variety of persons to encounter in the in the written text of this mm -hmm. module. A variety of persons, a little bit of information about each of them and what valuable information they may or may not hold, uh, as well as a description of their relative stats so that, you know, kind of hinges on the party to not pick a fight with every single person. You know, you may right. you can just social your way out of most of this. Uh, but there are a few, of course, that are more dangerous than others. Yep, and of course, the, the sidebar on the divine conundrum of paladins and clerics. But, yeah, they actually took time out to note that, you know, like, there may be a little bit of alignment conflict uh, in trying to conceal evil acts while you pretend to be an evil member of a cult. Yep, that is up to no good, and so you have to choose the lesser of actions. Yeah, and the ideal thing is to do as little harm as possible while putting up enough of a pretense, which this is like the vice cop thing, okay? Yep. Like the classic vice cop scenario. <laughs> you gotta look like you're the swinging cat who's not afraid to beat somebody down and do a couple of lines with the guys. Uh, oh, boy. Of course, you know, your little personal stash is baby powder, you know. <laughs> yep. And eventually you will come to blows with the cult, so all that uh, skullduggery and subterfuge pays off. And yeah, they uh right back at it with the traps and, of course, uh, nasty monsters like giant snakes. Snake cults. Why did it have to be snakes? <laughs> so you have the gamut of many of the main things. And snakes all over my city. Ugh. First it was another snake cult. Then they were popping up everywhere. 
But uh, besides the priests, you also uh, face a unique creature, the mask column, which is unique because Razmir is a features with masks. And finally, you, after beating up the cult at their own game, taking them down, you get the next part, which is they were looking for an artifact that had been taken from the tomb, and that leads you to the third module, which is City of Golden Death. And just to pause for a moment, I, I do want to uh, oh. mention my love of the cover, uh, because in this case, City of Golden Death is appropriately... Uh, written with bright yellow, golden, you know, color. Uh, it's a very, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word lurid. Almost uh, pulpy. I yeah, think. it's got a little pulpish thing as they're fighting a skeletal dragon uh, with red eyes and, uh, you know, it looks like all the bones have been dunked in gold. Oh, boy. Uh, and it, it's just, it's a good piece of cover art. I'm, I'm really... I'm impressed by this one. So. Yeah, so uh, Mass of the Living God uh, is a lot of subterfuge and thinking on your feet, as well as a beat down at the end, so it all pays off. Oh, yeah, it's got that, you know, that I expect a good module, uh, if they have chosen not to be a straight-on dungeon bash, because I love those two. Uh, if they have chosen to do something a little more subtle, you got to thread the needle and have both that mixture of, okay... There's time for chat and investigation and skill testing, and then there's time for kicking butt and taking names. And having that perfect mix of both, I I consider that just ideal. Yeah, and throughout the module, you know, some of the personalities come to force, so the players will you really want to have an axe to grind with the high priest and his uh, small uh, coterie of followers. Now, this one takes you to a aisle. That is connected to one of the big bad guys in the world of Galarian and Pathfinder, the Whispering Tyrant. That basically, uh, if Kos and Vecna were merged into one, that would be the Whispering Tyrant. Yeah, and uh, the Isle of Terror is associated with yeah. said Whispering Tyrant. Uh, and so you get there, and oh boy, this one is a lot bigger in its scope than the other two were. And so it has a lot of preparatory notes for the Game Master because this is a whole island that the players, rather than having a direct line, they can take their time and choose which path they want to go with. Yeah, by now everybody should be around 5th level, uh, moderately well-equipped and supplied, and capable of making a lengthy excursion without any, you know, uh, without being stricken with great poverty. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it starts right where the last one left off, and of course it has notes if you hadn't played them before. So, again, both of the, the first two modules stand alone, and this one also can just be entered into on its own as well. So, yeah, a standard group of 5th uh, to 6th level characters could walk up and pow, uh, be ready to roll in this. So, not really a problem. Uh, it does provide excellent information on how to segue characters into this scenario if they have not played the previous modules before. And again, with the encounter tables, which is a... Uh-oh, we are hearing from Fritz the Cat, who doth protest mightily at whatever is vexing him. Yes, yes, sorry. Protesting animal. Uh. Of course, it has the location and list and encounter charts, which makes it easy for to improvise as the players go through, with several of the places already mapped out, so you can start your clue-finding expedition, which will bring you to various characters and situations you have to interact with. Yeah, and some, you know, 
only moderately dangerous opening critters. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, these are, it's obviously, yeah, everything can go south if the, the bad guys get crits and you don't, but you know, they should be moderately handleable for just about anybody. Um, you know, and exploring the area is not easy. Maybe yeah, this one is not a uh, straight path adventure yeah, like the others, yeah. uh, which they had pretty clearly outlined, you know, single prominent locations. Not so in City of Golden Death. This this is somewhat more richer in background. There's more areas to explore, uh, more challenges that are not directly related to the final goal, but are rather part of the process of finding your way to the final location. Uh, and it's sort of unavoidable. They'll, they'll encounter some of this no matter what they do. Oh yeah, and you, each encounter opens the next path and eventually you uncover enough clues to make your way to Zinkafar, the city of Golden Death, which was one of the places of the Rune Lords of the past hung out there. And it has a unique artifact and we're not going to talk about it. No, no, yeah, we'll let that be a surprise. But one of the one of the nice moments we like is the. It does have one of the powers of being able to create any amount of gold. And of course, you're not beholden to tell the players that they can sit there and create gold for days and days and days with it. But if they take it out, it's worthless. <laughs> yeah, there's there's always a catch with artifacts. So all right, I mean, maybe we spilled some of the beans. Well, yeah, we wanted. To, I wanted to give that one. That was a nice one. But okay, yeah, we we were we were gonna pass on that, but you know, I, it, it's just too cute because. All right, let's be fair. Speaking conspiratorial uh, here among you, we're all people who have DM'd here, right? I think uh, so. There is nothing more satisfying than giving the player character something that, at first glance, appears to be incredibly awesome, and then hosing them later. Uh, just pulling the rug out for one. That just not in a horrible, killed the whole party, ruined everybody's day way, but the oh my gosh, this is awesome. Oh yeah, I I admit it. I'm I'm totally in love with moments like that. Yeah, and it that's one of the old school moments where you give players an artifact and their ears perk up immediately. Artifact, yeah, this it. But all artifacts come with downsides. So here it is. <laughs> I got this awesome hammer named Whelm, and then it takes you over. Yeah, huh. but the city of Grafar and Grafar and the uh, area it's just totally flooded with gold. So it's. And it's also a little bit about on a timer, so you have to move through. And, of course, being an ancient place, it's full of undead and uh, things that don't age. Again, they provide random encounter charts uh, in addition to core areas that are already with fixed encounters. That uh, if the characters traverse those areas, they will, they will meet opposition. Uh, and some of that opposition is notably stiff. And the, to highlight the difference between uh, first edition and you know, much later edition gaming. Uh, <clears throat> the One of the tools I liked most from newer editions of D&D, and of course this was incorporated in Pathfinder based on the 3.5 rules, uh, is the application of templates to existing creatures. Uh, so the... <clears throat> the... What is it? Bah, or Tarbarhan's Ogres. Bafan, yeah. Tarbafan. Yep. Tarbafan. Tarbafan's Ogres. Uh, a set of, like, big champion skeletal ogres. Yeah. Uh, and they're clad in gold. Yeah. Gold armored, uh, you know, dangerous creatures uh, that 
have gained some extra benefits that make oh, them more yeah. challenging to 5th and 6th level characters than a simple, standard, large skeleton would. So, I strongly approved of that one. And then the uh, link to uh, the Cult of Rasmir is in here as the, you run into the cultists. And then finally, as getting access to the inner part of the city, you finally find, you know, uh, some nice creatures like a Dark Naga. One of yeah. my personal favorites. Hello, boss fight. And also a dragon, which we won't... You can pretty much see it on the cover there. Yeah. Figure it out for yourself. Exactly. I, I kind of gave the spoiler in advance on that one, but uh, I, I'm sorry, but it was just a beautiful cover. Yeah. I, I got a little overexcited on that one. And, of course, the ultimate uh, fight showdown with the head of the cult of Razmir as they're trying to take control of this item. And then, you know, then if you are supposedly... Working with that ghost from the first one, there is a boon that can be given to you as you fight to recover what he had worked for in his life to keep this artifact from being assembled. And now it's in your hands, and so you can do what you want with it, which hopefully you'll return it to the tomb, but, you know, it's up to you. Yeah, you could be bringing it back to the crypt of the Everflame and close the circle and, yep. you know, just set things back to the way they were. Or, I don't know, I mean, you may have some neutralish characters that like, who are you kidding? This is great loot. Yeah, and so... It's not off the table there. It's not prohibited. Uh, you can go either way. So this one is a pretty much a location-type adventure, and it's solid on all fronts, providing you with a, a variety of terrains and encounter types to get your way to the city, and once in the city, you have to fight your way through the various guardians and traps. But, you know, uh, in the outskirts, you find uh, some mad survivors, driven mad by their time on the island because they can't escape, and, of course, some angry, evil lizard men, the Whisper Scales. And yeah, uh, among they've others. got different areas, uh, different avenues of approach. And each of the avenues of approach on the terrain uh, leading to that city have slightly different challenges available. So there's, there's challenge no matter what, uh, to a greater or lesser degree, no matter which path they choose. But it does lend itself to... Uh, interesting play with a later group. You know, there's no yep. guarantee that it will go exactly the same way each time. Right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think it was a good needle splicing, but more than just advocating the sale of a particular set of modules, which, I mean, obviously these are great, we like them. Yeah. But uh, it's not so much about advoca advocating a specific object as it is advocating a style because what we we broke down here is a little bit of the way in which the challenges increase module by module uh, they are interconnected in story but are not absolutely dependent on the story from the previous one to get characters into it uh, and I gotta come out swinging in favor of you know, like I, I would love to see more like this. Yeah, this this is entertaining material. It's well written, well prepared, uh, you know, neatly published and kept at a very reasonable price point. Because uh, I I have seen a few that like the price point was a little, uh, you know, little the bar was raised a little higher than I think it ought to have been in in recent years. Uh, you know, yeah, twenty odd, thirty odd dollars for like a single adventure uh, would be ridiculous. And you know, uh, only being in ten bucks, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, and you get a, at least three to four sessions out of each one, maybe five. You know, depending on how 
often uh, and how long you run. Yeah, if you've got some fast, sharp players who are really on their game, you know, some of these could be three sessions only, but uh, I, I would hazard a guess it would probably be a little more than that. So. Yeah, but to provide a good raw mix of locales, adventures, and they link well together, and playing them uh, episodically gives you an advantage going from one to the other. That, that all culminate in the final part. Yeah, I'm a big fan of hand-prepared material myself, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I confess that. I really, really enjoy uh, hand-drafting challenges that personally, carefully reflect the party's overall abilities. You know, that you, you've analyzed what their strengths are, and you've placed challenges according to that. So I, I am a big fan of that. This does not mean that I don't enjoy published materials, because I, I think, number one, things can be learned from and taken from them because they're full of other people's creativity. Uh, you get a lot out of them whether you actually play them or not. Yeah, if the players decide at any one point they're not going to go forward, well, it's not the end of the world. And, uh, you know, they can be uh, kept for a later date or for another group. And all things can be recycled, too. Yeah, Encounters and areas and monsters are, new monsters are always needed. That's why what, Pathfinder's up to six bestiaries. Yeah, that's, it's gotten a little top-heavy. Uh, but, I mean, there's lots of monsters aplenty back in the old days, too. Oh, where, yeah. Where we had uh, three core books and then, uh, you know, in the second edition, they, they did a one nice gesture was the big binder uh, for second edition. Yeah. Where you could keep adding new stuff to the binder, and the future editions, the additional releases that came out later, were all made binder ready so that you could drop them into place in the binder you already had. I, I thought that was like one of the few things that in second edition, I was like, oh, well, that was a nice gesture. They yeah, that it, it wasn't bad, but. I'm not. I'm not sure that after a while that you know loose leaf. Like the one thing that D and D needed was more loose leaf papers flying all over the place. Yeah, well, but you know, I'm not going. I'm not going to shoot it in the foot because of that. It was a nice gesture. It just it may not have been as well executed. But nonetheless, always <laughs> new monsters, always room for them, and uh, you know, always throws a curveball to the players when they find something when they don't know what's around each corner. But nonetheless, uh, I would highly recommend these three. Play them how you like. If you're new or old school, you know they're always worth a look because most of the monsters are easy to transcribe uh, to even older editions. Because if you just look at it, you know, a skeleton's still a skeleton. If it's yeah. an ogre skeleton, well, the further back you go, the tougher the specific stat alterations are. But uh, yeah, if you're playing any edition after third, uh, this is a snap to convert this into your campaign. Yeah, fifth edition might be a little hard, but we'll yeah. maybe review a fifth edition uh, series in the not-too-distant future, but... Yeah, and remember, you know, I mean, although we both love and celebrate uh, first edition in particular, I mean, it's kind of the flagship for us, uh, this does not mean that we do not play a lot of other things. We yeah, really do. We do. Uh, so, but with that, our 49th episode seems an end. Thanks for sticking around, and hope you enjoyed. Let us know what you think. Uh, if you played these, I'd be interested in hearing what... Uh, your experiences with it, because I've never run them. I've just always had them on my shelf because they look like a great thing to have in a pinch. But uh, let us know your experiences, or if you have comments, questions, or concerns, let us know if we're off the rails on something here. And uh, I think with that, we'll wrap it up for this episode. And Indeed. We'll, and we'll see you Friday, so stick around. Fun yeah, stuff. be ready for that 50th.
All right. Well, that does it for us. So, so may the dice always roll in your favor. favor. We're out. See ya. Thank you.